selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Go beyond the norm. If the norm is, let's use hand drafting, go beyond it. Go into CAD, go into Beam softwares, learn computational design, learn programming. Very important. You're about to enter the Young Podcast. Young Podcast. India's first and very own architecture podcast, where you'll hear the insights, experiences, and journeys from India's leading architects. No matter what your skill level is, together, we'll build on our knowledge and share architecture's greatest stories ever told. Now, here's your host, Manish Paul Simon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Akyan Podcast. Now this episode and the coming few episodes are going to be a little different because we're going to have guests from overseas. They're going to be taking us on their architectural journeys right from architectural school to transitioning to their first jobs and then eventually going to jump into BIM, computational design and scripting because that seems to be pretty much where most of us architects are headed to. I've also got a big announcement for you. We started our Patreon page where we put up exclusive content. You can head to arkyan.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash arkyan. Now you could support us by even $1 a month where you'll get access to exclusive content. And then we have tier 2 which is Arkyan Fan where you can support us with $5 a month. Here you'll get a shout out of your name in the after show. A personalized video thank you from me the ability to vote on upcoming podcast episodes, and you'll also get access to our Discord chat server. If you become a super fan, you'll get the exact same rewards as before. Plus, you'll get a personal phone call from me, and I'll help you in your architectural journey. And finally, we have another last level, which is limited to just one Patreon supporter, Akyan Gold. You get access to all the previous benefits that I mentioned. Plus, you get a shout out on all our episodes guarantee. So do head to patreon.com slash and hopefully I'll be getting my first few Patreon supporters by this week. Alright, let's head to the episode. In this episode, we have with us a Nigerian-based architect. He's also a design technologist, computational designer and a BIM specialist. This is architect Christopher Ibekbulem. So here's a brief on Christopher to give you some context. He completed his Bachelor of Science in Architecture from University of Nigeria in Suka in 2017. He's now working as an architectural assistant with Harcourt Aduke Associates, where he plays a major role in the implementation of BIM and BIM training. He also works as a partner with Blaze Inc., a design technology firm based out of Abuja, which helps AEC firms work smarter through the implementation of BIM, technology and more. In this episode, Christopher takes us on his journey in architecture and his experience in architectural school in Nigeria, how he was introduced to the world of BIM, what a typical BIM training entails, what plans he has in the future, his take on the AC industry in Africa, and of course, some great advice for young architects. We have written extensive show notes for this episode, along with the links on arkyan.com slash 
29. Without further ado, here is architect Christopher Begpulim building a career in BIM. He starts off by sharing how he got into architecture. Let's go. Yeah, okay. Uh, my journey into architecture actually started from um, my days in uh, secondary school, which, which is part of the educational system we have here in Nigeria. Uh, while I was in secondary school, I had an elder brother who was in architecture then, and he used to come home with some of his tools, T-square, Z-square, scale right. um, rule, and, um, you know, the pen, point zero point one, zero point five, and all that. And I was usually fascinated about it. So, I mean, my, my, my dad actually really wanted me to study accountancy prior to that, and uh, I was gone in for, I was still not yet settled, until one day I ventured into a technical drawing class, mm-hmm. and I wasn't part of the class, but I just joined them, I took, I mean, took the assignment, did it, I, I got fascinated with the way I could, you know, sketch, draw, and detail some things, and when the time came to apply for university, I, architecture was it, and I mean, I applied. And that was how I found myself in the Department of Architecture, University of Nigeria. All right, great. Awesome. That's a pretty cool story. Could you tell us more about the architecture course in the University of Nigeria? Like how many years and what is your best learnings or takeaways? Okay, it's, uh, it's a four-year program. Yeah, most, most uh, federal universities offer the course as a four-year program. Some do as five, especially technical universities. Um, technical and technology investors. Right. For uh, um, throughout my study in school, it was a bit of hit or miss. Uh, someone coming in not too grounded in uh, technical drawing. I started technical drawing in my final year in secondary school, so okay. uh, I struggled a bit the first time, first semester into the first year, second year. And um, surprisingly, I did well in my studio courses. And I mean, that was my focus. I, I grew in, I, I became in love with studio courses, especially those that kept everyone around, you know, the jokes, mm-hmm. the, the bands and all that. It was quite interesting, very funny. At some point, studio was almost like my second home. If you didn't find me at home, you find me in the studio. <laughs> so this is the architectural <laughs> design class, right? Yes, exactly. So... Uh, it was quite interesting, and yeah, I, I, I fell in love with design, particularly, and moving on, I fell in love with um, applying technology to design, because that was where I started learning AutoCAD. I think that was in my second year when AutoCAD was introduced to us. Right. And uh, third year, I think we started learning Revit then. One oh, of nice. my lecturers yeah, started taking us on the course on the course um introduction to i'm uh, sorry comp- computer application to architecture and it mm-hmm. was revit uh, that was like one of my experiences with revit although before then my my elder brother i told you about which yeah. who was actually studying architecture he had already told me because he saw me one day doing i mean i was using autocad and i was feeling so good about it he came and told me i should drop that and i should learn this one it's way better and oh, that, right. that was just it not knowing. <laughs> so you got the right guidance in college itself? Yes, from my elder brother. He was a good guy. Awesome. And then did you have a thesis and all that? Sorry? Did you have an architectural thesis, like a project in your final year? Yeah, sure. Uh, architectural thesis in my final year was actually related to technology and architecture. Right, right. And uh, surprisingly, it wasn't approved. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't approved, and then um, it felt like, I mean, can I really do this? But I scaled, I scaled through, and um, here I am. And then you had to uh, redo the, the project, or? He, uh, no, this is one of, it wasn't a project, it was a... Uh, it was more like normal tests. It wasn't really, really a project. We had the final year project, which was separate from our tests. Okay, okay, cool. As it was structured then, yeah. All right. But how did you jump into the world of BIM and how did you start getting into Revit and all these uh, tools which are part of BIM? 
Okay, uh, my journey into Revit actually started, um, that was in my first year in university. Uh, I had my, like I said, my other brother who was actually studying architecture then in a different school. He was he was higher in class and uh, like he had, he saw me one day using AutoCAD and he came and told me, look, I should use, I should use Revit. And that was my first ever encounter with Revit. I got fascinated with modeling in three dimension. You know, I could spin around models, see the walls, see the doors, see shapes and all that. I fell in love with geometry. It was like a snap. I didn't even have any difficulty grasping it immediately. And then um, where it spot was when I went for my um, industrial um, training. Mm -hmm. That is an internship. Right. Yes, that was in my third year, third year, second semester. Okay. Then my supervisor, who, yes, then my supervisor who was um, very much interested in BIM. He was, he, he, I mean, his enthusiasm then was so high that he brought, he led me into it. Then he would give me some tasks to do in Revit, and I would struggle at some point. He would like, no, there's an easier, there's an easier way. If you do it this way, this is, these are the outcomes, and this is the reason why you need to do it this way, so you get X, Y, Z results and all that. So mm. it was really that that was like my guardian angel. He helped me throughout that period. He was really giving me tips, showing me um, uh, how it should be done. Not how it has always been done, it's like because he also he was exploring. Every every day I come to the office, he's always eager to show me something new he discovered the previous night, and I mean we explored together. Mm -hmm. Nice. So so that was that was my where I learned Revit the most. I mean his guide and all that, and actually using it for the first time to deliver a project, real life project actually. So. Since then, I picked interest. That was that was the moment where I I, I had I had friends then who were um, I think they were learning SketchUp then, and they were like, "Come over to SketchUp. It's cool. It's you know, it's a push and pull software. You don't need to bother about geometrical intricacies, what a door is, what a wall is." But something just keep push telling me stick with Revit, learn it. Mm -hmm. It's the future. As I then. Yeah, uh, I stuck with it, and it's taken me far beyond just Revit. I've delved into so many other things. Yeah, even uh, when I was learning Revit, I thought I knew a lot about Revit, but only when I joined a big company did I know that there's much more beyond just the software, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so could you tell us more about uh, BIM? Like, how were you introduced to BIM, and uh, how's the BIM scenario in Nigeria? Okay, um, how I got introduced to BIM was, like I said, my supervisor then, although we, we didn't see it as BIM per se, but we saw, we saw it as a way of improving project delivery. And mm -hmm. at that time, I, wasn't, I didn't know there was something called BIM, uh, although I had seen it, but I didn't, there wasn't the interest that wasn't there at first until when it got to a point I, when I joined my, my um, office, um, the Hakata Tuke Associates, and um, joining them, I discovered when I came in for the first time, quite a very interesting office. Mm -hmm. I discovered um, some of the gaps in project delivery, especially using Revit. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were quite they were quite new. Not, I mean, they had used Revit for close to two, three years then when I joined, and they were picking pace. So I had to like. Join them. Obviously, I didn't want to go, but I didn't want to even learn AutoCAD at all. Although I later discovered it was very important and developed my skills along that. Okay. But then with Revit and, and I, the the zeal to actually do things better is what has been my push and beam. Because I always feel there's always a better way to do things, a better, easier, simpler, and much straightforward way than uh, you know just drafting arbitrary lines and then adding meaning to it later. So that was uh, kind of one of the reasons why I decided, you know what, BIM is the future, I have to align with it and get along. So when I joined my office, they were still doing, they were using Revit, yes, but um, not in the, the aspect of BIM per se, but 
I, I saw the the need to actually you know improve improve myself and in doing that improve every other person around me. Mm-hmm. I go I, then I go around I tell I, I look at what the person is doing and I tell the person like one of the questions I ask is if you were to count this thing what how would you be able to count it if you were to schedule it how would you be able to schedule it mm-hmm. how would you be able to procure it what information would they need to procure that um, element or that object and all that and that's that was it. Right. So uh, there's different levels in BIM, right? We have BIM level zero, level one, all the way to level three, which is uh, when you work on the cloud. So when when did you start working on the uh, cloud or did you start, uh, did the office which you worked for uh, use the cloud? Uh, okay. The office I worked, um, I am still working there actually. It's oh, okay. not like I've left. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. So... When I joined, they had this um, Dropbox account where they used to, you know, share files between consultants and clients and owners. And um, I, I felt there was a better way. After then, when I joined them, I, I hadn't known about BIM 360. Mm-hmm. It, it was my my research into how to do things better that brought me into common data environment and all that. And then I came about Iconex, BIM 360, new format and the rest. But when I, like I said, when I joined, they were using Dropbox, and some projects even till now still use Dropbox right. due to the fact that that is how they started. So it will be kind of um, an overkill moving them to BIM 360 hmm. uh, for now. But um, recently, we have quite a few projects running in BIM 360 nice. at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but uh, my question to you is uh, in Nigeria, I would say that. Compared to the Europe, uh, resources is still a little difficult to find, right? So how did you manage to learn or pick up on all these skills and uh, reach it to a level which is uh, BIM standard? Okay, okay. Um, I mean, the internet is <laughs> has been a very great resource. Okay. I could imagine how people survived when there was no internet anyways. But um, I had to, I had to leverage what I had what is readily available to me, which is the internet. So every night, I mean, I spend nights, weekends, research websites with reliable information. Yeah. Um, looked up uh, on uh, Design Build Wiki, such pages. I looked up on the Autodex AU classes. I mean, I'm a big fan of that. I watched them. I follow, I've been following up since AU 2016. That was the first time I, I knew there was something called Autodex University. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I go in there anytime I need something. I just, I mean, quickly type away, start, get the information, watch videos, look at presentations and handouts and and uh, materials. Uh, the internet actually has all has been my has been my great resource. YouTube, YouTube is just a click away. And lucky enough, our internet over here in the country is quite stable to the point where it's reliable to an extent. Right. So. Things are quite um, easy to actually find if you if you know the right questions to ask. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, see the, the the thing about Revit is you get into BIM and then after you get into BIM you get into many other avenues like uh, computational design and Dynamo and uh, scripting. Exactly. Yeah. So could you tell us more about uh, your experience working? Uh, and learning about Dynamo and all these other useful add-ins. Okay, so my my um, ex- my journey into computational design and um, Dynamo and plugin was, uh, I think when I was at some point I was given a task to document um, one of our projects, and um, I was to do door door numbers. Right. I mean, you know, yeah, do the door numbers and window marks and all that. And something else tipped me and said, I mean, there's an easier way to do this. I just have to, before then, I had I had uh, head of Dynamo. I had been, like, trying to, like, get my hands on it and stuff like that. Uh, prior to joining my current office, uh, mm-hmm. I was still at home. Yeah. So I had, you know, done some research, but then it, it seemed too difficult to, like, grab until I found a need for it, which was, like I said, to number doors and windows. And that was my first ever tax completed in Dynamo. 
successfully numbering um, successfully numbering doors and windows with Dynamo. That was actually my first start. Yes. And then I, I picked up pace, researched more, and then went into um, Dynamo for geometry optimization. Uh, ventured into Python, and um, I discovered PyRevit, which is, I mean, a very great tool and from uh, Eshron. Yeah. And uh, and along the line, I I started learning C Sharp, which is also a very great programming language aside from um, Python, which Revit supports. So my journey into the computational design actually started from having a need. I needed to number my doors and windows in in a snap. And one thing about that project was that things were changing rapidly. That I mean, when there's a change, you need to renumber all afresh. So I, I felt no, I can't. I can't be doing this every time. Yeah. I have to find an easy, I have to find an easier way to get this done. And that was it. I did it. I was so happy with myself. That was a push. Like you have to learn more. And the journey has been quite nice. I when a tax when I get, when I have a task to do, first thing I think of is how do I do this. How do I break down the logic? How do I break it down into sizable chunks and steps that, is, that are machine readable? And then, before you know it, within minutes, um, I've written out processes and steps and things I need to put together to get it done, and it's done. Sometimes it's not straightforward. It's not as, because uh, you need to you know, do some research, look up things people have done before, how they had solved those problems, people that have been in your, you know, people that had your own problems too before and how they solved it to, you know, gain experience from them, use mm-hmm. it and then replicate. Yeah. Nice. How does the, the computational thinking process uh, begin? How do you think as a computational designer? Okay. Um, I think the, Basic principle is um, first of all we should all understand that um, computer is giggle garbage in garbage out so we have to have that behind like at the back of our mind and um, another thing is when I when I have a tax this is how I break it down when I have a tax and first thing I look at my time what how much time do I have mm-hmm. one secondly is um, how many times would this thing be changing? Like, would there be changes? Would there be need to actually like modify some things? Would there be need to add, do some tweaking to it and, you know, all that. So when I look at the time, okay, I have enough time, not really enough time, but I mean, the time is enough to actually quickly script out something or do a dynamo graph. And then recently, which I, I started, um, I think about six, seven months ago, Rhino Inside, I use mm-hmm. that a lot. That is a plugin for uh, Revit to bring in Grasshopper into Revit, right? Exactly. So what I what I do is I I look at the tasks. What am I? What do I need to do? I break them down into steps and processes because uh, through this computational design is actually you know especially visual scripting is actually um, assembling steps and then connecting them into you know machine readable language. Mm-hmm. And so I break break them down. First, you know, try to think about it in, in my head. When I see I have headway, then I start so that I know, okay, this is the next thing I have to do. And most times I, I walk from front backwards. Like I walk from the end and then walk backwards. Okay, I, for example, like I said, I wanted to remember my doors. Best thing I did was to have, I mean, the whole entire doors. I know I want to remember and then walk the step back. Do I want to, you know, get it from the room? Do I want to use the room numbers? I get the rooms. Do I want to, you know, number them alphabetically or numerically? You know, all those things. These are steps I break down into, you know, uh, machine readable language and then run it all and it works. So you like get parameter value by name and then set parameter and then you start uh, from the beginning, right? Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Let's talk about uh, BIM in Africa in general. Now, BIM is going to be compulsory in a lot of countries uh, and it's going to be uh, implemented widely. But where do you see the AEC industry headed in Africa and how BIM is going to play a key role in uh, the construction industry? Yeah, sure. BIM will actually play a very important role in the construction industry. And I'm happy. 
quite recently there's been this lots of awareness from a lot of forums, a lot of um, organizations and um, meetups that are, are happening like day in, day out. You have people, you know, preaching the word, beam. And then you have lots of enthusiast, enthusiastic um, people coming out to like say, look, this is the future. You have to go. We we'll have to start doing this and all that. Yeah, uh, we we may not be where you know. I mean, it may not be happening as fast as it is in Europe, but we we're actually getting there. We're getting to the point where everybody would start demanding beam. The awareness is building up. People are getting to know about it more and more as the day passes, and um, it's it's no longer um, a buzzword anymore. It's gotten to that point where it's no longer a buzzword. It's actually now a thing people demand for. Mm. Like I'm sure if you walk into if there are 100 offices in Africa and you walk into about 45 or 50 of them, someone there is preaching beam. Nice. And how are you playing a role in uh, educating or uh, teaching about BIM to the mother? I, I think you already have this company called Blaze where you conduct workshops and all that, right? Yes, uh, yes. Blaze was actually founded out of the need to. Um, help architects, engineers, contractors, AC professionals in general uh, to work smarter. Um, outside Blaze, I am I'm part of um, a Beam Africa community where we have groups, we have summits, we have conferences organized, and people come, attend, and then preach the word, like I said, preach the word Beam. Um, again, I'm also part of an um, AAP, which is an Autodex Academic Partner Program. Nice. Where we, yeah, uh, that which is organized by Beam Africa again, where we go to schools. You know, there's this word about catching them young. When everybody coming out from the university is preaching the word Beam, and they are joining offices, there's that tendency to actually, you know, attend to their demands. Because if you're employing someone and the person is telling you, you know, this is the way, this is the future, this is the way you need to work, and if you don't work that way, you lose them. Sometimes, you, or most times, you actually don't have a choice but to, you know, align to that. So the the AAP program actually um, is is a program where we actually go to schools, talk to students about, you know, being the future, computational design, collaborative working, and all that. So, yeah, I, myself, I, I make myself available for such opportunity whenever it's possible. I attend conferences give talks, uh, even um, do workshops for people and clients also. Brilliant. That's brilliant, Christopher. I, I think you're like one of the key people who's going to play a big part when it comes to BIM in Africa in the future, I'm sure. Yeah. Thank you. All right. You also create uh, online courses or uh, how was your introduction with the online courses? Because I think I saw on Blaze uh, where you guys have created an online course as well, right? Yes, the online courses. Um, actually, we just launched that um, recently. Okay. And um, our first course was on on uh, smart homes. Yeah, my partner Blaze. He actually uh, thought that uh, it's um, it's about smart homes. Okay. And we we have plans in the future to actually add, um, add more courses about being digital twin, collaborative working. And we, we want to make it in such a way it's African-friendly first before, because there's this peculiarity we have down here in Africa where it may not be similar to what's happening in Europe and Asia, but it's it's quite a bit um, different. I mean, what I mean is we, are, we try to tailor it towards our own peculiar needs down here. So, yes, online courses, actually, I, I think we have in the pipeline coming up. Right, right. Nice. And also, could you tell us more about uh, your BIM workshop or BIM training? Like, what does a typical BIM training entail uh, for you guys? Okay, typical BIM training is uh, we actually go to the offices when I mean when I, when it's about when offices actually invite us for workshops and training. We go in. We try to understand first of all. We try to understand what they do, what they currently do, and how that um, plays how that interfaces with technology and uh when we are satisfied with the benchmark and results we get because we actually pass on pass around questionnaires we talk to 
designers, especially if it's a consultancy outfit, talk to designers, talk to um, people in, in management because they too are very important. They are actually key in uh, implementing BIM in offices, in, in projects, actually. So after that, we um, have an, something like an evaluation system where mm -hmm. we show them where they are, where the industry is, more like this. they can see they can see themselves as um, we give them a score, sort of, and then tell them, look, this is where the industry is, and look at where you are, and look at the things you need to do to actually step up. Right, right. You know, break it down into processes and like and roadmaps for them, so that they will be able to follow it without actually overwhelming themselves. Because uh, I mean, implementing BIM takes time, yeah, and also costs. We we factor that also in. So when we do that, most times they are happy. They're like, wow, okay, nobody has actually done this for them. I mean, most times people just preach beam and they don't really talk about the hurdles one has to cross in implementing beam in projects. Mm -hmm. So after that, after that, we'll get to go ahead. Okay, yeah, where do we start from? And then with that, we follow down, follow the roadmap as it is. And keep on progressing and keeping up. Also running benchmarks also to like say, okay, at the end of this project, look at what that, what do, what did what did you learn? What are your what are your what were, what were our goals? Did we achieve them? Mm -hmm. Were we able to achieve most of the things we said we want to achieve with this project? If yes, then we take that good. Where are where can we improve? Where can we add, you know, where can we um where can we add some flavor of technology more to mm -hmm. the process and all that? So most times it's been it's been embraced. So uh, process has been embraced. Then talking about when it's when we when we go for summits or conferences, we try to like um, take people through the steps, through the process. We talk about being the levels of being, the dimensions mm -hmm. of being, then how the progression. I mean the typical being curve, uh, the efforts required in beam projects and all that so yeah yeah all right uh what is the most uh challenging project that you worked on which uh, had uh, implemented beam okay it's uh <laughs> one of the projects actually i think it's, it's nearing completion at the moment um nice. it was uh it was a residential residential project actually okay. and um yeah, I, I talked to my managing architect then, told him, actually, we can use this project to, you know, as a pilot project for for BIM. And he was like, okay, yeah, we could. Then um, it was it was quite difficult getting the structural and mechanical engineers involved because, uh, truth be told, uh, most of them are not yet, um, they're not yet caught up with the BIM wave. Yeah. They're still to the card and not stuff. Yeah. Exactly. So what I did to help at that point was I took over the modeling of both MEP and structural systems. Oh, wow. That's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a lot of work. Okay. <laughs> so so they, they'll send me card, like they issue card drawings to me. And then from there, I take it up and then model. But what I did was like, um, let them know that I needed their information in a particular manner so that I don't have to rework on the card first before I could, you know, model out of it. Hmm. It was quite challenging because um, I was juggling between architecture, structures, and mechanical systems. And, and did you do the clash detection on Navisworks? Uh, clash detection actually was just very basic. It was happening in Revit because Revit, Revit has some kind of um, interference checking system natively, which is not as robust as Navisworks, but I mean, because of budget and then I, I was sort of the one like it, it was like a one man team doing architecture structures and that's architecture modeling, structural modeling, MEP modeling, and all that. So classification was typically in Revit with um, the interference check. But uh, did it like work out on the site uh, from all that modeling that you did and uh, from the BIM model that you created? Yeah, it did. It did actually. I mean, the, the thing was that. Um, Again, I, we submitted in the submission. I mean, the deliverable was in 2D, which was quite painful because all the work had, yeah. <laughs> all the effort and work. I mean, I, I 
put into the project actually went back to, you know, CAD and PDF and all that. But I mean, it was a great learning process for me. On uh, As for the contractor who was on the project, he was quite happy. I mean, there were very few clashes, very few problems. And things were resolved in the fly. I mean, when there were issues, we like, I referred to the model and then had it resolved and we should back to, to the contractor. Great. Awesome. Generally, the process is that you learn Revit, then you get jump into Dynamo, C Sharp, Python, and then eventually machine learning and AI. So, uh, exactly. What is uh, what do you feel would be bigger than BIM that is fast approaching? Um, for now, I I still think BIM might, BIM will still be available at least in the next ten years. Yeah. Hmm. But beyond that, what is to come is what I may not be able to point my finger to. But um, recently, we've been hearing the, you know, the word digital twin, machine learning, artificial intelligence being applied to pro- being applied to projects. Yeah, this I'm happy at the pace at which things are changing. Three um, D printing and all that. Hmm. Uh, going on forward, what I see is beam beam tools will become, you know. I mean, I'm talking about between now and 10 years to come, BIM tools will become easier to use because a lot of them right now are quite cumbersome. They are quite, yeah. I mean, it takes a lot of time to gain expertise on them. You have to, you have to, you know, actually delve deep into the software to like use. But I think going forward, BIM will become very easy that even the layman can understand. Mm-hmm. And once that happens, projects become easier, smoother, uh, Collaborative working will become a thing because right now I think we still there's still that working in silos um, activity going on where people just do their thing and then dump it over on someone. Mm-hmm. But going forward, collaborative working will be a thing where you now have rather than having uh, project teams who are only interested in their own goals and profits, but it will be a collab be a collaborative effort where everybody has a shared risk, shared goals. Everybody just wants the project to succeed. And that, then technology side, yes, yeah, digital twin. I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy with what is um, emerging from there. It's, I mean, anything that comes after BIM, I'm definitely sure I'll be part of it. If it's digital twin, if it's machine learning, if it's uh, um, AI in practice, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be there myself. I'll definitely use the, be doing that also. Yeah, and we also have big data, right? So BIM plays a big role in big data as well. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think we covered most of it, but uh, what would be your future goals and uh, where do you see yourself maybe five or ten years from now? Okay, uh, future goals, I intend to work on more BIM projects where um, the way I put projects, uh, what do I I learn from them? What do I, what are my takeaways? What are my drops? And uh, moving on, I intend to like, you know, use more of technology to leverage projects. I, I, I believe in working smart, where things are done with deliberate effort and reason, and not just arbitrary. Because, I mean, right now, there are a lot of time wasted, money, and all that on projects, simply because uh, we have not really sat down to think about how do we do this, how do we do, do things better. And um, I see myself being in, I mean, working in projects, projects that are quite smart. Because um, at at some point in the future, you have what you have, what you start calling smart projects, where things are happening on the fly, and everyone is leveraging technology. Everyone is everyone is aware of the uh, benefits of using technology. There won't be the naysayers and uh, stuff like that. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, five years from now, I mean, Blaze will be on full full. Will be on full cost, you know. Awesome. What made you decide not to do a master's in architecture? Generally, a uh, lot of us think about doing masters, right? Okay. At some point, I had actually thought of um, should I go for a master's in architecture or master's in computer science and all that. I'm still undecided, but um, I'm leaning more, more and more leaning towards computer science. I mean, masters in computer science. Yeah, that's uh, pretty un- understandable, I guess. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, if I if I if if at all I I, I wouldn't I didn't study architecture, I I would have gone for a degree in computer science. <laughs> yeah, I think I would have done the same as well. Yeah, but uh, don't you feel that uh, diminishes the role of an architect and uh, uh, the role of you know design playing a key role as an architect? I I, I don't think it does. Uh, I I have this argument that everyone should know how to build their own tools. I mean, if you're able to build your tools and work and make your tools or tweak your tools to match your workflow, that's fantastic. If you're, if you're able to take, take, for example, someone is able to build a plugin for every that matches their workflow and makes them work twice as fast as they could before, that's a plus. I don't see it as a problem. I mean, even going forward, you have um, offices and architectural um, offices um, employing, you know, programmers and all that. That's because there's that need to actually make things better and uh, kind of like make things happen faster. Tweak the software to work. I mean, the software, rather than being just a tool, becomes um, partners within offices. So offices are revolving around workflows and the programmers are you know, working in the in and out to make sure that they optimize the tools to get better results. So I I, I don't really see it as a problem per se. It's it's not even a problem. If I know how to build my tools out, I definitely would be able to work better. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel that uh, in the future, architects would start hiring programmers more than just architects, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, in in I mean, technology has come to stay. We can we can fight it. It's high time architects started um, embracing technology. It's high time they started getting to know how to build their tools, how to use the tools uh, beyond just the you know conventional design methods and all that. Yeah. All right. So before you go, uh, what advice would you give to maybe young students of architecture and architects just getting started? Okay. Um, my advice to young um, young professionals. New, those new entrants into the industry, those in the universities, should they should go beyond the norm. If the norm is let's use hand drafting, go beyond it. Go into CAD, go into BIM softwares, learn computational design, learn programming. Very important. I mean, you you will not regret learning programming. I mean, that skill will never ever be wasted because the future actually would need a lot of us. I mean. We, at some point, would have ourselves building our tools that would fit into what we do as as professionals. Uh, most of the time, we have tools that were built by other people, and we have to fight tooth and nail to get them to you know match our needs. But then this time around, learn it, master it if possible, and then you will never regret that. Then also, I, I encourage them. To like engage in collaborative working, right out right from the university, we are we are actually taught to work in silos, which is not very good. I mean, yeah. if I had my way out, that is one of the things I will go to schools and and start preaching that everybody they should work collaboratively. Because truth be told, you can't even do it alone. You can't do it yeah, alone. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I think our educational systems are obsolete, uh, considering the what's happening in the world, right? Exactly. Exactly. So if 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 I had my way, like I said, I'll go to schools, I'll try to get all the industry professionals, like students, bring them together, if they could work on projects together, get to know how each and every one of us, the roles we all play in the industry. Yeah, that would really help because when you graduate, you actually want to look for people that I people that work the same way you work collaboratively and, and one collaborative projects actually have better outcomes than ones that I mean, the, the, the participants are working in silos. Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's quickly just jump to the quick fire round and then I'll let you go. Okay. All right. So which book has inspired you the most as an architect? Uh, the book that inspired me the most is um, one written by, um, I can't really remember his name, but it's um, not really architecture per se. It's the... The Beam Manager. I read that book. I read it. I read it. Yes, that's the the name of the book. And it's it's one thing that has 
poured me into the, my journey in BIM also. It helps me to like know about the do's and don'ts, the typical working pro I mean, I came into the industry without a full knowledge about the industry. I came in and things were just happening and I had to I had to keep up, I had to catch up. So that book actually gave me headway. It was one it was a book that it was a book that actually led me to know how everybody thinks in the industry. Because the book covers about not just architects, talks about um, engineers, uh, um, service engineers, consultants, and and um, clients. Yes. So this is by Holzer, Holzer Dominic, right? Yes. All right. In in if you ever get an opportunity to work with someone uh, in collaboration, who would it be? Eckhart. Eckhart Swissfiger. Uh, he is a BIM lead, Zaharid Architect. Uh, what would you have chosen had you not taken up architecture? I think I know the answer to this. <laughs> yeah, computer science. Yeah. <laughs> I would definitely pursue a degree in computer science. Sometimes I wish I did, like I had a double degree or something. Which city would you consider your favorite? Oh, Shenzhen. Uh, I mean... I like the kind of technology that is coming out from Shenzhen, the kind of things they do. The, the, the city looks like, it looks very smart. But don't you feel that uh, you're monitored all the time? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't <laughs> feel so. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but I mean, I'm just so fascinated about that city. It's one of the places I feel like I, I should visit just to have an idea of what how things happen there, the kind of Buildings I see, especially when I Google and see some, you know, buildings in Shenzhen. Yeah, absolutely. Shenzhen is definitely a place to be if you're into entrepreneurship and uh, creating stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, my last question to you is, what does a daily routine in Christopher's life look like? Right from morning till you go to sleep. Okay. Um... Wake up in the morning, try to like catch up with uh, well the AU classes I I have had I've bookmarked. Uh, once I do that, jump into the restroom, have my bath, um, move out to work. Um, at work, typical work activities, you know, check out projects, do some modeling, try to like do some computational design on. Um, Look at things that uh, need to be, you know, fastened up, especially things that I know would, I, probably I would have thought of the previous night. Something, one task that I know I have to do. And I'll, yeah, I mean, spend the night researching and trying to like find a way to get it done faster. So when I get to the office, I hit it. I just go straight. It's one of the first things I do then. Look at my mails. Um, Close from work, when I'm done with work uh, during the day, I get home, meet my family, uh, and then straight up back to the computer. Yeah, I'm almost like, uh, you try, should I call it triangular? <laughs> <laughs> so your mom must be complaining all the time, right? My son is always on the computer. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, uh, Christopher, I think we had a great session and uh, there was a lot of golden nuggets that you shared. I, I'm 100% certain that our listeners will learn a lot from this episode. Thank you for coming on. Uh, what is the best way our listeners could get in touch with you? Okay, um, get in touch with me, LinkedIn. I have my LinkedIn profile. Um, uh, I have, I am um, Dash Extova. That is my LinkedIn page. I'm on LinkedIn. Or you can search my name, Christopher Ibebulem. That's one of the easiest ways to, you know, contact me. Um, I'm also on Twitter, also. At yeah, I'm pretty I, active on um, Twitter. I think I found you on Twitter. <laughs> yes, I am active on Twitter also. I mean, LinkedIn and Twitter, social media where I'm very active. Yeah, LinkedIn is definitely a place to be if you're, uh, if you want to, like, develop your career and... Exactly. Yeah, I I learned a lot from LinkedIn learning. LinkedIn learning is one of one of the places where I I invested a lot in learning. Yeah, I think I, I I should ask you one more question. What would be like the top five resources 
to learn uh, and get into BIM? Okay, I use um, LinkedIn Learning uh, Think Parametric. That is for obviously for computational design. Yeah, think I, parametric, I, I yeah. Think Parametric. Then YouTube, definitely YouTube. Um, there's this um, a very, very good friend, Gavin Crumb. Yeah, yeah, I saw his channel. It's pretty good. Aussie Aus- Bim Guru, right? Exactly, Aussie Bim Guru. That's another one. Then um, I hop into the Dynamo forum. I'm, I'm quite active there also. Like I go in there to you know get things done. And um, recently, Rhino Insight. I mean the the, the forum for that side. That's another place. But for Beam, LinkedIn Learning, for Parametric Design, Think Parametric, um, for Beam and um, Parametric Modeling, also Beam Guru on YouTube, um, Dynamo Forum, very important. So, I mean, if you're if you're if you want to really get your hands on Dynamo, you need to get your hands dirty inside the forum, like dig in, dig, dig deep in the yeah. forums because there are a lot of I mean, there are a lot of people there to help you get things done. Then um, if you're on the Rhino side, uh, you use the Rhino Forum, the McNeil Rhino Forum. Yes. All right, great. So I think uh, that covers pretty much most of what we wanted to ask you. But in case we left out something, it would be awesome to have you on in the future episode. And uh, let's see where you are then and probably discuss more about BIM computation and hopefully I think you'll be into machine learning and AI then, by, by then, I guess. Yeah, definitely. All right. Thanks a lot, uh, Christopher. I'll see you in the next episode. You're welcome. You've been listening to the Ak Young Podcast. We're still building the community. Please share this knowledge with someone you know who could benefit. Just send them to akyoung.com where you'll find our free newsletter and for more podcast episodes. Search for the show on any major podcasting platform. Don't forget to subscribe where you're listening right now. And if you liked it, leave a rating or review. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. <laughs>